0: Hey guys, you're listening to the Tasha Labs podcast. And today I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, I want to talk about the market and how the macro situation is changing or not changing and how that's affecting the market. We have some news coming out this week. We had the FOMC meeting obviously on Wednesday. And we also had Q2 GDP number of the United States that came out um, negative from quarter on quarter growth perspective. And that got a bunch of people saying on Twitter, oh my God, we are in a recession, the Fed's gonna pivot, so on so forth, or they're driving the economy to the ground. So we're gonna discuss that, right? And um, um, specific related to why the market is up and uh, is are we seeing the end of the bear market, so to speak? And suddenly, I also wanna talk about some of the questions I got on a recent article that I wrote um, that is on 35 Web3 business ideas that could uh, disrupt traditional industries. So basically, I did this thought experiment. I put down on paper 35 ideas. of I, I look at basically the list of large companies in the world in Nasdaq and S&P 500. And I. Uh, I thought about how those companies were run alternatively on a web three model and by web three model what i mean is to use some kind of to leverage the tokenization and the internet of values and the blockchain technology or push decentralization of the business business model further along so i did that and uh, got a bunch of trolls on twitter telling me oh these are terrible ideas you're an idiot yeah i know so I'm not saying those are brilliant ideas, but it's a thought experiment, right? To to get you to think about what is really the value added of Web3 or tokenization business model and how potentially traditional business can be transformed using leveraging the new business models and devils in the details. You can tell me, oh, these are all shitty ideas because this will not work. That will not work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but this is really um you know something that uh, get that got me thinking and uh, I, I think uh, got a lot of people thinking and uh, i got some interesting questions on that so we we can talk about that and if we have time last time i i said i'm going to talk about investment um methodology and investment related to is especially investment related to your personality uh which i think is quite important which because I realize, by you know, observing a lot of people in general, a lot of traders or investors, all types of investors make money in the market, and all types of investors lose money. You know, you can make money as a day trader. You can make money by huddling. You can make money by swing trading. You can make money by investing in very very early stage high risk companies, or you can you can make money by investing in distressed assets there are all sorts of ways to make money and people do that all day long but in every of these categories the majority of people do not make money so when you can when you think about this it's less about what's the specific methodology that you follow it's not like uh, oh hollowing is definitely better than trading or day trading is better than swing or you know none of those are absolute in absolute terms, better or worse. It's, uh, I think it all comes down to how you execute and, uh, the quality of your execution, I think has a lot to do with your personality. So you need to pick the methodology or a method that really fits your personality. And that gives you a natural advantage. I would say if, if the way that you invest, Naturally aligns with the way that you think and operate in general in life. So, I actually recently picked up a practice, which is sh- I should have been doing this earlier, <laughs> but I just like picked it up recently and uh, you know try to do it more um, in a more disciplined way, which I want to talk about it uh, if we have time. Um, yeah. That really helped me. So, but uh, first of all, let's look at the macro. So, Q two GDP down um, on a Q and Q basis. So, that that got a lot of people saying, okay, we have two consecutive uh, downtrend in the GDP level. This is a technical uh, the recession. And when the Fed says, oh, this is not a recession, and people, are, uh, you know, uh, protesting that, oh, you're changing the definition of recession. Uh, uh, because you just don't want to, uh, you know, acknowledge that you're wrong. But, you know, all those things. But seriously, when you actually look at data, right, yes, GDP down on the Q&Q basis for second quarter in a row. But what happened is uh, you, you actually look at the breakdown so of the GDP. So so there are several things w- of why I, I think, yes, the economy is still down, slowing down, but this is we're not in the recessionary situation yet so there are several points I want to make okay first of all if you actually look at the breakdown of the data so the GDP growth you, you, you break it down into consumption investment inventory changes and government consumption and investment and though and net exports those are the demand side uh, components of GDP right so if you look at how these components contributing to this uh, negative growth in q2 it's mostly negative changes in business inventories so businesses uh, you know try to accumulate more inventories uh, over a COVID period and we had, we are still having lots of supply chain problems so people kind of uh, stock up business need to stock stock up uh inventories uh so that to to accommodate to accommodate this increased uncertainty in supply chain. And that's one of the reasons. Right. Um, But so now you see inventory drawdown. That is actually the biggest driver of the Q2 GDP negative growth. Uh, But if you look at all the other components, net exports is up, which is which is interesting because because um, dollar has been appreciating, right? So even in a dollar appreciating environment, you had um, net exports recovering. I find that interesting, uh, which tells you that export growth is actually quite strong. By the way, all of these are on real terms, okay? Um, not so basically already taking out the price impact. And consumption is still going up. Real consumption growth is going up. And it's positive, so so the growth rate is slowing down. So you can s- so like we talked about before, consumption is the biggest driver of the U.S. economy because it's a super consumer-oriented economy. So really, the ec- the health of the economy, where the health is, you need to look at the m- biggest part is the consumption. So consumption growth is slowing, but it's still positive. So we're in the definitely in the slowing down economy which is what the tightening of monetary policy wants to achieve right so the fed wants people to go buy less stuff because if you buy more stuff you drive up the price you add up to to the demand pressure of inflation so they are the monetary policy is doing what it should okay if you if you believe this consumption slowdown is actually related to the monetary policy i think maybe there there there's some part is related to it okay but maybe not all um, so and, and you also on the investment side yes you see some like real estate investment um, you're seeing negative growth in residential investment and non-residential investments so uh, these are I think, uh, contributed to like a minus point 0.7 or something to the Q2 GDP growth so yeah so these are slowing down because we have uh, interest rates goes going up we have uh, mortgage rates going up And though it's stabilized more recently. So uh, real estate is uh, the sentiment about real estate is uh, quite negative right now. Right. So it's unsurprising that investments in those are going down, which is also what monetary policy tightening is trying to accomplish. So, 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 so that's the second factor, or are we on the third? (laughs) I lose track. Um and the next factor is if you look at the gross national product which is like uh, a a parallel um a parallel uh, concept to the GDP. So GDP is national uh, gross domestic product, right? So just to <laughs> refresh your econ 101, a GNP what is n- gross national product is GDP plus the income that the citizens of a country, so the citizens of the United States um, earned, whether it's domestically or or abroad, or in this case, if if it's add on to the GDP, it's from abroad minus the income that earned in the United States by foreigners. So it's really, so that's why it's called the uh, gross national product or gross national income. It's like similar, right? So if you look at this measure, it's still holding up pretty well. And you look at previous, most of the previous um, official recession periods, you have GDP and GMP both going down to a negative territory for a, you know, period of time. So GMP is still holding pretty well. So makes you wonder what's up, right? So this is related to if you see the negative growth in GDP it's mostly driven by inventory drawdown. So the bottom line is it's I don't think it's th- this is f- pretty far still mm-hmm. from any kind of panic mode for the Fed when they're be saying, oh, my God, economy is contracting too fast. We're going to do something. We need to revert policy. I think it's we're still pretty far from that. Right. And when people are saying, oh, we're in a recession, when they're pounding a the table saying, oh, the Fed needs to pivot, the Fed is uh, bad, is driving the economy to the ground. You need to check who's talking. OK, so sometimes I see <laughs> um, people who are saying that tend to be like uh, who, who, who have a large stake of investments in tech. In other words, high beta, high risk investments in that kind of asset classes that that are super affected that are most affected by fed policy right so there is an incentive for those investors or there is a i'm not saying like people are deliberate doing this but there everybody is biased right you are biased by your bag it's just like uh even on the unconscious level even if you are not really trying to consciously be biased we are all biased and when <laughs> your assets are all in the, you know, tech stocks and with revenues, uh, you know, uh, real profits coming in 20, 20 years down the road, those kind of assets tend to be and also crypto too tend to be most affected by any kind of rate changes, um, interest rate changes. So you are I think those people are naturally biased okay, towards saying, oh. Ray height is too much, you're hiking too much, you're doing damage, so on and so forth. Um, but in the short term, <laughs> we've got a pretty strong rebound since, um, so the, the bottom, the uh, current, uh, like a, I say, local bottom is uh, middle of, uh, of June. And then we had a pretty confirmed uptrend starting in the beginning of July, for both crypto and for equity markets. And also <laughs> after this week this Wednesday's FOMC meeting where Fed announced they're, they're going to hike another 75 basis points, the market went up. Right. So, why is that? <laughs> so, uh, this is uh, so so I I was looking at the, you know, the just market data on Wednesday. It was actually the market started bouncing up right from the get-go on the trading day on Wednesday, like uh, way before the 2.30 uh, p.m. press conference, or, or was it 2 p.m. <laughs> on Wednesday? So I think there, there, there are two-folds of uh, why, why the market is up after the FOMC meeting, which hiked interest rate, and so theoretically it's bad for, for, the, for, for the market, right? but but there are two things Two one of all one of them is uh it's actually we're in because there's so so much uncertainty in the environment right now anything that you can any news that can remove a piece of uncertainty for the market is going to be bullish um so because the seven, 75 basis point at least a bullish in the short term and 75 basis points were already widely expected by the market and the uncertainty actually was uh, were they going to hike 75 or 100 basis points right so a lot of people started saying oh we're going to see 100 in july because inflation is not coming down so and so so if the ex- expectation is to say okay we're not sure if it's 75 or 100 but it's uh, pretty possible it's 100 and you have that uncertainty and then it ended up being only 75 then you know everybody you know, <laughs> exhales right give a sign of relief so in that so the, it's like uh, the market expectation is that uh, you, you have to look at what is uh, r- how the news uh, compares relative to expectations not the absolute terms of the news so we have to remove of that uncertainty. And that's the first piece. And the second piece is, uh, you know, a lot of people watch the market all day long and uh, try to discern any kind of uh, predictable patterns from the market, right? Um, people watch the market, humans watch the market and machines watch the market too uh, to, to practice pattern recognition all day, every day. So a kind of mini pattern you lo- notice it from the past uh, the, from the recent FOMC meeting is uh, actually after af- after each of the FOMC meeting, you had a mini bounce of the market. As far as I remember, I remember the past two. It happened in the past two. I d- don't remember exactly what happened in the December meeting, but in in the March meeting and the May meeting, you both had kind of a bounce after after the, the Fed meeting, which is uh, somewhat, part of it at least is related to the removal of uncertainty part that I just mentioned, right? So and, and the March bounce was pretty significant. So now <laughs> you have all th- these things happened uh, a few times in a row and then market starts to pattern, pattern recognize, right? And uh, you have people started thinking, okay, so we had uh, these recent patterns of market going up after the FOMC meeting. So we got prepared for a bounce (laughs) uh, after the FOMC meeting for this uh, pattern to continue, right? So you have already a bunch of people expecting that to happen and they're positioned for that to happen. And uh, like even before the FOMC meeting, because uh, the the way to make money at least one way to make money in the market is uh, you've got to be earlier than other people, right? So people try to be earlier or to front run other participants. If the expected return is not good enough, why would you, as a retail investor, <laughs> invest in their I D O? So um, given that you are less, you're you have less like bandwidth to do due diligence compared to. <laughs> professional investors so just like you think about these like again I'm not saying this is 100% applied to every project but these are the things that you need to keep at the back of your mind right so if you see a project that's completely community funded that did not have any professional investment at all you gotta ask why sometimes it's because they're ideologically pure they don't want any professional investment money that can happen but sometimes there are other reasons you can <laughs> consider, right? And, and one of the reasons is just the project is shitty. <laughs> Period. <laughs> um, ne- next one uh, from anonymous. Uh, in some of these use cases, what is the advantage of using Web3? For example, the Netflix case, Netflix can r- create a royalty tokens using Web2 and achieve the same thing. Okay, so uh, what did I say? about the web w- about the netflix example uh netflix where's where's netflix oh um okay so uh what i wrote about netflix is okay Nef- netflix can airdrop netflix tokens to users and let users stake tokens on pilot shows that they like and then users can earn partial streaming revenue from those shows So now users have more incentive to help promote their favorite shows, which will, you know, help attract more subscribers for Netflix. All right, so that was the idea that I wrote down. Again, I'm not saying this is a brilliant idea. I'm not saying this could well be a shitty idea. It could well be that when you actually look into the details, you figure out there are X, Y, Z aspects is totally infeasible. I'm just saying these are potential ways and you can look at, I'm going to link this article. You can look at r- other examples. All right. Um, other potential ways that you can just to give you a idea of uh, how potentially businesses can leverage Web3. Right. So the question is w- if for this particular use case, why cannot Netflix just to create a database on their server and just, you know, Give people points like airline mm, points or credit card points, rec- record in their database, and then do the same thing. You don't need blockchain, you don't need tokens, right? Yes, that's true. But remember what we talked about. I think that was the last episode, if I remember correctly. The value of public blockchains is the open database for all the values that represented on this platform to talk to each other. That is the. Like the biggest part of at least one of the biggest part of the value added of Web three model is, it's a internet of value. It's not just like one database of value that is sitting on one particular company's server. When you have a internet of values, values can easily exchange to each other with each other, that's why you can enable secondary market trading and give liquidity to any kind of tokens, including utility tokens and lo- loyalty point tokens. So that liquidity benefit is the huge driver and the liquidity benefit is one of the huge factors that's driving the reflexivity of the crypto market. and because because you can have these uh, trading activities going on and people when they are holding a community token for example or they are holding the token of your liquidity programs now they have more incentive to actually help you grow because you know it it gives them a some some kind of that that means their their uh the monetary value of their token goes up so in the netflix case yes the netflix can create a in user database on on their server and you know do the same thing. But the thing is, you don't, you you are less able to actually trade those tokens, right? So, so with with Web three, you you if you have a show token, and it it's like the trading will likely the value will goes up, you know, according to the popularity of the show, and then you know users have more incentive incentive to help you p- to promote those shows that is one way that reflex can leverage that reflexivity right again not the only way maybe not maybe this is a shitty way i don't know but just to give you an example so with with if you have a company database you there's harder for you to actually do that right now netflix is a h- big enough company they theoretically they can have their own marketplace <laughs> for people to trade netflix tokens but you still it's way less powerful compared to a internet of values where you have one public blockchain platforms or several public blockchain platforms that are open access, tokens that exchange with which with each other, can trade with each other, can talk to each other. That is a very, very powerful um mechanism to help drive growth, right? So you, you think of a web two, uh, each company they can run their own, like, incentive programs, but it's all, like, uh, in their own database. It's all fragmented. And actually, this is not just a a phenomenon with any kind of loyalty program. It's a phenomenon with everything, all the data, you know? Look at healthcare. Look at uh, education database. Look at, like, a travel industry. All the databases are sitting in each individual companies. You do not... It's very rarely, because... Very rarely really you have like public databases from each different pockets of uh, businesses or different pockets of uh, economic sectors where they can talk to each other. Because this is like a tremendous coordination problem, right? To in order to make all these different databases talk to each other. <laughs> so there are companies who do that in Web2. One of the, um, like for example, a company like Zapier. They basically they have basically it's a hub it's an api hub for different companies api to talk to each other to all oh, to connect different companies api so different applications can talk to each other right um so um if i so i can achieve things like uh if you sign up for my email newsletter by the way sign up for my email list newsletter <laughs> it's com slash newsletter it's free and i you know um periodically publish things that help you become smarter about macro about web3 but that's a tangent so if if uh, people if you sign up for my email list and then you know zapier sends a notification to um my uh, what is my other application which handles the email campaigns and you know record the user in the email campaign databases. So you allow different applications to talk to each other, but that is like a really heavy lifting, really hard to do. Still, it's a lot of hassle for different applications to even connect to a hub like that, and because of uh, this very disparate very different api standards and security standards of different applications now with web3 with public blockchains you have homogeneous or relatively homogeneous standards of how to publish tokens which are representatives of values on chain and uh, how when you have like a harmonious homogeneous uh, value standardized standardized you know formats to publish this for for this database then tokens and talk to each other now you have when you have different public uh, blockchain databases now we are developing solutions for cross-chain messaging for bridging for those blockchains to talk to each other so that on the application level you don't really need to do much of anything to actually connect to the databases for other with other applications in order to allow for the Internet of values to happen. Right. So um, so so you y- that to me is a serious, serious uh, advantage of Web three of the uh, public blockchain platforms. Now, obviously, they're not performant. They're so slow. They're so shitty. There are all sorts of security concerns and Web two databases they are fast, they're reliable because they're mature technology by now. Right. So, but they do not have the openness, they do not have the composability, which Web3 gives you from day one, blockchain gives you from day one. So, with, uh, you know, as tokens, as the Web3 technology continues to evolve, I I hope, (laughs) I think we are going to get more performance and more speed, but still preserve the open and and composability and interoperability aspects, which is very hard to accomplish by web web 2 platforms okay so next question by mike a how are we doing on time okay we have a little bit time uh mike a's question is um when these ideas come into fruition he means that that the examples ideas that i posted in in this article right when when these ideas come into fruition and adopted by large institutions, do you anticipate the companies to create their own blockchains? Or will they build it on top of e- existing ones, such as Solana, Ethereum or Avalanche, for example? Huh, very good question. The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a bit too early to tell. It could be both. It could be like uh, one do- one dominance solution gains more traction why is it too early to tell right now because both options are equal, are very bad <laughs> uh, you have your own blockchain it's still very slow not very performant and you have you need to have your own set of validators and so on and so forth and uh, you know if you go proof of stake you have to maintain a certain security standards that's tied to the value of your tokens anyway a bunch of issues if you use one of the existing blockchains they're still they're slow they're not performant you get affected by other apps activities that may degrade your performance if uh, you have a token drop or you have an application that suddenly gains popularity and you're sitting on the same blockchain as those given that the total like uh, overall blockchain performance is not is not very strong you you get a lot of problems to be on the same chain as a lot of many other applications so both these options are Bad options. <laughs> right now, that's why I say I don't know. Too early to tell. It depends on which option evolves faster and evolves to become a more um, performant and uh, user-friendly and uh, lower the cost for um, projects and companies to deploy. Right. So for example, we just mentioned we have bridges and cross-chain messaging like being developed. There are a lot of innovations going on in those. So if they get good, then it doesn't matter which chain you're on. You can be on the same chain and then you can communicate with applications on other chains. And there are uh, uh, exchanges, token exchanges are sitting on multiple chains uh, that can transact or exchange tokens across multiple chains. Those are being developed right now, right? If those protocols get mature, get good. It doesn't matter where you are. It can be on your same on the. S- you can be on your own chain and take advantage of the liquidity on other chains. Or and, and, and that is get, being on your same ch- being on your own chain gives you more control. Right? Um, if or if you have like a, these are large public blockchains like this, for example, Solana, Solana, Ethereum, if they get very good, um they get really very cheap to deploy very easy to deploy and very fast while maintaining the you know same advantages they have right now then you have you can have more applications you using those uh, instead of having their own chain so like for example this this week there are a bunch of hypes about this um this new chain called aptos um, that w- that was uh that is being developed by a bunch of uh, former facebook dm people um it got hyped because there are huge vc investments behind um uh, uh <laughs> so um they they claim they will be able to have uh like a you know really really high transaction per second and so on and so forth so i'm not saying they are going to or that's the you know um chain that's going to get traction. I'm just saying an example, like these new things just come out. Um the, it's a, it's a, it's an industry that's being uh innovated uh, very fast, right? I think we are going to see um multiple types of solution coming out. So, long story short is I don't have the answer for this. I don't know if that's going to be built on one of the existing blockchains uh or maybe there'll be a newer blockchains that are more performant than the existing ones or projects going to be building their own chains all possible right um too early to tell okay so um we are kind of running out of time so <laughs> unfortunately we are out of time to talk about investment uh personalities um but th- that that is evergreen it's uh It's not something time sensitive, so we can leave it to the next episode and hopefully we get to those uh, by next episode. So um, if you are listening on Apple, on Spotify, remember to give a good review for Tasha Labs podcast on those platforms. Uh, Thank you very much for that. And uh, uh, if you haven't, go sign up for my newsletter at tashalabs.com slash newsletter. Okay, I'll talk to you next time.